Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comic Bureau Field Report. The Comic Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That is why I have a favorite podcast platform. It reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report here at episode 167. 167 times I have warned people about this weirdo name. I wonder if it'll ever grow on me. I'm going to guess not, but we'll see. In another 167 episodes, I mean, I can't believe it. It's gone this long, but uh, it's fun, and thank you for listening. Now, on to this week's amazing guest, a return guest, one of my favorite people on the planet a kindred spirit and yeah an expert on comedy and done everything in the entertainment business that you could possibly imagine um please give it up for babs roman everybody sir number 176 reporting for duty (laughs) thanks for reporting in Uh, are you ready to deploy (laughs) yeah and you just call me six six oh cool Uh Is that, do you dream of a life of being like an operative? Well, that is actually a secret uh, desire of mine. I always wish that I could be a spy. I think I'd be really good at it. Right. Especially because, huh, go ahead. I got into comedy instead. You got into comedy instead, which is eh, maybe a little similar. I mean, the truth, you probably know this. A lot of people who are actual, like, like, that's their job as a spy is not, running around jumping from building to building and shooting people it's mostly just living a very nondescript life that doesn't raise any suspicion and then sort of um, exchanging information exactly that's what i want to do I, (laughs) i i am not somebody who stands out particularly in a crowd i'm you know a small woman who seems kind of harmless you know i i do feel that i get people to really Mm -hmm. open up to me right so i I like being sneaky right but if you were going to be a spy you would probably have to learn portuguese or another language that's really hard oh that's true okay (laughs) no i'm sticking to (laughs) comedy comedy that's right. How how are uh, how are things uh, at this juncture? Because our our first episode that we did was during lockdown, uh, and uh, we had no idea where we'd be at June sixth, twenty twenty three, um, and the world was depressing in a different way. We it's. I don't know if I could say more depressing now, but it's certainly a like a facet of or degree of depressing. Um, but it does, and now it, you can't just say, oh, it's just a phase we're going through. The phase has lasted a bit too long. Yeah. Well, I would argue that the phase has been going on since 2015. You could argue maybe even since the crash in 08 of the housing market. Also, I think uh, Obama threw this country into just having a black president made the country <laughs> crazy. Was, that, that really divided people. It that, really did. Me, that was really one of the causes of this mm-hmm. crazy attitude that we're hearing now from the 
extreme conservatives. Yeah, that are really in what what I would hope is the death rattle of a bunch of like, quote unquote, family values. um, They're really like grasping hard at it, you know. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene posted today that uh, too many people from Africa were crossing the southern border of the U.S. I, cool. Great. And I'm it, sure she, she is commenting on Haitians and doesn't even know her geography. No, she doesn't know where Africa is. Of course not. Of course. Of course not. Uh, and well, you know, sometimes I wonder with Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene. Who I some people abbreviate her name to MTG. I don't know how I feel about that, but I wonder if she just just like Trump just says shit without a filter and doesn't think about any of it, just in order to stay in the news. Well, yeah, I don't think that. Uh, uh, I don't think either of them have been blessed with a high degree of intelligence. No, they have a lot of guile and tricks mm-hmm. but right. uh you know i don't know if it's stu- stupidity mm-hmm. delusion or a combination yeah i think it's a combination um that said it's it's very hard to make fun of because as for years now people have explained that um the hyperbole necessary to satirize somebody like that is hard because they keep saying insane things uh-huh that it's like, well, you can't say anything more crazy than that. <laughs> I know you can't out crazy crazy. I know. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they re- they haven't really stopped. And then, you know, I the disturbing part is feeling the aftermath of it. You know, um, the activists, conservative activists, Supreme Court. And then a lot of a lot of like re- it you know i bet they wouldn't identify as zealots but the conservative christian right and we'll get to comedy very soon guys is <laughs> um really like taking on their their quote unquote values with um limiting certain types of books that kids can read uh t- uh taking back you know lgbtq rights and um, I read this today and this was disarray. I didn't know why this didn't get more news coverage. There was an Oklahoma uh, board that approved public funding for a Catholic school. I saw that. Yeah. And it's like how what that's not that's not legal as far as I understand the Constitution. Yes, I know. I But, you know, all of this is formed the foundation of wanting to build uh, these secret comedy shows right to have been... have our space to feel sane exactly you know they i mean they've been cropping up all over now and i think these secret backyard comedy shows bookstore comedy shows mm-hmm. patio comedy shows are among the best things happening in la right now right uh, and it, I think it came from this feeling of like, we are so screwed. We're right. so, the news every day, it gets worse and worse, you right. know? And it's like, what can we do to feel connected, alive, hopeful, right. you know, right. meaningful? Right. 
And and I think a lot of people had the same idea mm-hmm. um, as your idea for us to do comedy shows in Paul Provenza's backyard. But right. it, it's a way of of really regaining the community that right. we lost during the thick of the pandemic. Right. Oh, you're and, meaning to tell me that levity isn't going to be a source of community? I I hope so, but... <laughs> Uh, for the listeners not aware, Levity is a giant, giant company that used to be just management, but they own like a lot of the improvs and Levity lives uh, around the U.S. And, uh, you know, they're a comedy club chain. Yeah, well, we're doing the opposite of a comedy club chain. Yes, in, we are. In fact, I was just in the backyard now. We have mm. one of our um, uh, director and lighting guy friends come over because we're sort of trying to recreate the feeling of the green room with Paul Provenza on Showtime. Yes. In the backyard. Yeah. So we're trying to, uh, you know, part of the sensibility of the green room was what it was a community in that room. And it was shot in the round. The audience was all around encircling the performers. Right. And everybody was part of the conversation. And you could see the cameras in the shot and we didn't care. We wanted to show, yes, we are shooting this, right. um, but we shot it with like, you know, six cameras. I mean, we really w- went crazy with it to, to get it perfect. Right. And we're trying to do a facsimile of mm-hmm. the green room uh, on June 17th right. at the with uh, Doug Stanhope, Andy Andrus, Christine Levine, and Annie Letterman, and Henry Phillips. Yes. So it's very interesting. It's it's sort of like, how can we put on like the high school play? You know, Uh how can we make scenery and how can we make a backdrop? It's, but it's super fun. Yeah. And the people that, as you've seen, that have volunteered to jump in and help Mm -hmm. are tremendous talents in the industry in terms of crew tech right etc right Right. speaking of which do you want to plug the show i do want to plug the show yeah you can live stream this Mm -hmm. on saturday june 17th at 7 30 p.m pacific Pacific time time yeah on nowhere comedy and it's the green room with paul provenza live in the backyard with Mm -hmm. doug stanhope Right. Andy Andrus, Annie Letterman, Christine Levine, and Henry Phillips. Yes. And, and it's... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, or if you're lucky to, enough to be friends with one of us, uh, or Paul, uh, you could uh, message us and see if you can get in. That's true. It. Yeah. There, very limited seating now because the green room is so popular. that it's the so RS- popular. Yes. The RS- He's filled up instantly. So there'll be some standing room. Right. But expect a crowd and a big after party. Right. I, I do want to I do want to uh, bring attention to this. So uh, as whenever Paul uh, introduces me to people while we're at a show at his house, uh, he often says that it's my fault that <laughs> there's shows happening at, at the back of their house uh, because I have Paul on this very podcast and I told him like, you know, you could just do a show in your backyard. You you just need a mic, uh, a PA system, chairs and a mic stand and you're good. 
and then from that, uh, Paul and my gracious friend here, Bams, decided to do like a thousand dollars worth of landscaping and lighting. I didn't tell him to do that. What no, was you... the go on? What was your journey in making this the greenhouse a reality? Well, this section of the yard, it's kind of a sprawling yard, and the section right. of the yard was a junk pile. Like it's mm-hmm. it's tucked away in a little nook in, in right. the yard. And it was all just filled with rocks and gravel and piles and hills, and it was crazy. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't make a venue there. We we had to make a venue. Right. And we didn't want to spend a fortune making a venue, so we made it ourselves. We, right. you know, we we shoveled and raked, and we we uh, rented a, I guess it's called the soil compactor, right, right, or right. something. We put in fake grass. It's adorable now. It's it's so pleasant. It's like a it, little outdoor nightclub. Yeah, I mean, somebody could get married there with the seating arrangement. I've seen, you know, you put it out there. But it's I think you have that perspective because you have made a TV show many a time, whereas like some 20 somethings that would live in a house comparable to that, if they saw they would just see the gravel and be like, eh, we'll just put chairs around the hill. You know, uh, we, we won't we won't like actually try to flatten it. Why would we do that? <laughs> That's funny. But, you know, when you're live streaming, you do have to have a level of professionalism. Yes. And and technicality and we you know we were lucky enough to attract right from the beginning um ben glebe and his nowhere comedy platform uh you know they've been live streaming all of our shows and it's really fun to work with them but it does put the pressure on (laughs) to make it look good right right and that you know uh we just lucked out in that sort of the setup uh, ends up being the stage is the deck where Paul's hot tub is. <laughs> and I want to, we haven't done it yet, but I, I really would love the hot tub to figure into some show that we do. <laughs> the hot tub, the, the, the audience section in the hot tub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the audience section or that it, it's just, you do a green room and all the guests are in the hot tub and then we watch that. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I want I want um to do a, a Green room where Drennan uh, Davis interviews interviews his cats. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> that would be really, really lovely. So, for the people who haven't had a chance to uh, see the greenhouse on Nowhere Comedy or uh, gotten to answer one of our invites, uh, what to tell people what we've done in what is it a year? Like what what have we yeah, put about on? a year? I would say. Yeah. Well, we we've done the green room mm-hmm. here before. Um, we've done multiple fundraisers. Yes, I mean a big important part of what we're doing is if we can do it for a cause, like comedy for a cause. Right. We we really support that, and right. we there's certain causes that we full on believe in. Right. Um, one is Liz Winstead's uh, abortion access front. Yes. And the other is the Kurt Vonnegut Museum, Absolutely. Uh, where they they raise money to distribute copies of Slaughterhouse Five yeah. to students where their schools have banned it, and the students yeah. want to read it. Right. And so we decided, look, these these shows aren't 
huge money makers. Right. So we decided whatever the money is, we're going to try one whenever we can to right. tie it in with a good nonprofit. Right. So actually done uh, two shows for the Vonnegut Museum mm-hmm. and raised. We sent a bunch of copies of Slaughterhouse Five thanks right. to our donations, and then we've done two shows for Abortion Access Front. Yeah. The last show we did here, which was so spectacular, mm-hmm. was a music comedy night. Yeah. And every act was a musical comedian. Mm-hmm. All different styles, all right. different genres. All different uh, ages, too. All different. Yeah, every it was multi-everything. Yeah, yeah. And L.A. is filled with phenomenal musicians and composers. Right. And so, yeah, we're we're friends with a lot of them, and they. It was a, a night to be remembered. It really was. Every it really we had, was. you know, Tracy Newman, Brennan Davis, uh, Zach Sherwin, David Lucky, uh-huh. uh, Gary. Uh, we had Gary Stockdale. Uh, yeah, we had Captain Danger. Right. And then Donia Oxford mm-hmm. was the host. Yeah. With the mo- so, yeah, it was really I love trying different formats. And when it's your own show and there's nothing at stake because right. it's basically your friends in the audience. Right. And then whoever else is nerdy enough to want to stream it on nowhere. But sure. we play around with multiple formats. We oh, did yeah. a we've done a two political game shows. Right. Um, you know, we're, we're and we've had people come in to preview their fringe festival shows right. or people fresh off the fringe festival. Right. We're doing doing two of those coming up. Jake, I have to talk to you about those. But oh, sweet. More fringe previews. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, we're it's a real venue. It is a venue, but it it's more like a festival venue. Like, yeah. you know, I got a lot of inspiration from the Edinburgh Fringe. Right. Because venues are funky. They're not really venues. They're all something else that was turned into a venue. Right. And formats are so original. I mean, not not only do they have great stand up, but right. it's a place where all different formats are showcased. Right. Comedy formats from the surreal to, you know, and from improv to Every permutation. Um, right. We've done set list at the fringe a n- number of times. Right. We've done green room at the fringe a number of times. And those are just two examples of comedy formats that aren't straight stand up. Right. And so I really enjoy that. I've seen, you know, a gajillion stand ups in my life. Oh, yeah. And I thoroughly enjoy them. Mm-hmm. But I, I like, um, you know, that cliche think outside the box. I, you know, I like formats that utilize the the brilliance of stand-up comics in a new way right yeah absolutely and we we keep kind of we keep dreaming up of different ones and uh we're probably i i don't know which one we'll we'll run with at the greenhouse but we we're always percolating over different um what was the bible thing do you want to mention that I don't want to mention that because in case we do it, I want it to be a surprise. Okay. Yeah. That's all that I'll say then. <laughs> We're going to a Bible. Uh-huh. Uh, but it is amazing to see, uh, you know, uh, a house being utilized as a festival venue and having such a varied um, programming slate when most housing, like house 
shows or how you know they kind of just do one thing and that's what they get away with mm-hmm. but paul owns his own house so everyone can fuck off well we do have some straight stand-up performances yeah. they're attached to something else for example right. this upcoming green room on june 17th mm-hmm. the comics are going to do some stand-up right prior to sitting down for the panel discussion right Everybody knows Doug Stanhope, but mm-hmm. everybody may not know, um, you know, Annie Letterer, Andy Andrus, right. uh, Christine. And and so it's a way to kind of l- l- let's show you what they're about. Let's give you a little taste of what these people are about and right. then watch them sit down and see what they have to say. Yes. And- so, yeah, we like to we, we tie in stand up when it's part of something else. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Just like uh, when we had um, Ron Placone and uh, Graham Elwood do their political game show. Anything can happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they would have stand-ups kind of riff along with having their answers to political trivia. Sure. I mean, when you give comedians a chance to just riff, yeah, it, you and I have talked about this. It can be the funniest, funniest stuff you've ever heard in your life. I mean, sitting at, at, at an all night cafe with a bunch of comedians, mm-hmm. just schmoozing, it right. can be you can fall on the floor from laughing. Right. right. For those who haven't been to the Just for Last Montreal, uh, you ought to know that one of the funnest parts of that festival is everyone hanging out at the Hyatt lot like bar after all the shows are done. Yeah. Cause all the comics go to the same bar cause they all stay at the same hotel mm-hmm. and then they have their own fun until like three in the morning. Right. It's the same at, at like in the Edinburgh festival and in Australia. I mean, there's all these rooms that are open some of them are open till 6 a.m and they're kind of private rooms for the comedians and you know i guess fringe people Mm -hmm. but there's like a place at 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 the fringe called the abattoir bar Uh uh-huh it's probably what studio 54 was like you know in these it it could not be more jumping i mean it's Mm -hmm. amazing amazing and Um... Plan on no sleep for that month. <laughs> yeah, I I've yet to go to Edinburgh because I kind of want to like go for a whole month, but not even going there with the show. It still costs a bunch of money. Yes, well, we've had this conversation. I'm sort of off the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Right, right, right. Because I feel that it got greedy. I mean, the way of so many businesses, it started out as a very pure sort of like, right. you know, everyone's on an equal footing at the right. Fringe and anybody could pay there. And it was, yes, pay to play, but not much. And it was a lot of passing the hat. And this, I mean, I wasn't there. This was 50 right. years ago, but it was right. much more like grassroots community. Right. And as it grew, you know, and people just saw money and opportunity, you know, and then sponsorship gets involved and, and, you know, the whole town gets involved because everybody's looking for an apartment for the month of August. Yeah. And, you know, so the, the rents, which are high in Scotland to begin with 
are on the moon, which right. caused so many comedians now to have to live in campers and tents on the street yeah, for a month, which you know, to me, it's I am very pro artist. Right. And, you know, when I see artists getting the short end of the stick, I mm -hmm. I really don't like it. And right. it, it sort of changed my entire I used to live for the fringe and right. now I don't even want to go there. I don't right. want to go. There. I see what greed has turned it into. And yeah. I see how it's affecting these artists who just want to get on stage and do their mm -hmm. art form. Yeah. Is there yeah. any any chance that something like at, at the scope of a festival can keep like keep its purity and be profitable or is like it every one of those sort of things like doomed at the behest of sponsorships and money coming in i i honestly can't say that i know because i was around for the beginning of the um montreal comedy festival right and although it was smaller mm -hmm. it was pretty much run the exact same way and everybody right. hung up at the hotel afterwards and right. you know but it was still you know handful of venues pretty much real venues in montreal right you know some student buildings some university buildings but a lot of real venues i don't know if everything is going to get that out of hand and, and you would hope not and, you know, I've not been to every festival in the United States. Like right. I haven't been to Bridgeport or, you know, how do those run? Are they as right. money sucking as the others? Or I don't know. I mean, they try to it seems like the sort of smaller festivals that are like, you know, a weekend, four or five days, maybe they either they're, they're really magical and fun uh, and they run for a few years and they either like become bigger and then um, lose steam because it's not any more fun and, uh, anymore or they don't take on a bunch of sponsorship and they want to stay small. But that's so hard to maintain financially mm -hmm. that the festival organizers are like, you know, breaking even and uh it's, it's if you're if you're a pay-to-play comedian if nobody is financing you or promoting you right you are going to spend a minimum mm -hmm. of 10 to fifteen thousand. yeah yeah to spend that month for what the venue charges for your marketing costs yeah. you have to hire flyering teams and i mean right. you're you can't get away with under 10 grand no do and you, like, UK comedians, they save a little bit of money or no? Well, UK comedians, uh, the touring industry in the UK is a lot more vibrant than mm -hmm. it is here right. because the UK is small. Mm -hmm. And so you can do you could do England, Scotland and Ireland in one weekend. Right. And, you know, the touring business is just very strong. There, so I would say touring comics. The last time I heard, they can they make about on average of about seventy eighty thousand pounds a mm -hmm. year. Oh yeah, that's that's great. a living. That's a living. 
So, yeah, they do save up, but they work all year on their one hour fringe show. Yeah. Hoping they, they get good reviews. Yeah. So they get good reviews so uh -huh. that it, it furthers their touring business. Yeah. Uh, some people get plucked up by the Soho Theater, which is really yeah. great. That happened to us with Setlist. Mm -hmm. And that's a great next step. Right. Uh, because if you have fringe press and London press. Right. You know, it's it's great. So, yes, the fringe creates a lot, lot of opportunities, but it it charges you. It soaks you for them, right. you know, sort of like when the comics, you know, before, like ages ago, before the mm -hmm. comics at the improv and the comedy store were getting paid. Right. You know, and you go at some point, the venue owner is making enough money off of their talent. Right. That some of that should go to the talent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was always like that was the last consideration, I, I think, was paying the talents. Like, why should we pay them? We're giving them stage time. Right. And, you know, that mentality, I just really don't care for. And mm -hmm. it, I don't care for clubs like that. I don't even go to those mainstream clubs right you know i i think the business of comedy is mm -hmm. as ugly as the business of music and the mm -hmm. business of anything really right. right and um comedy itself is just a pure art form and at this point having done so many things in tv etc mm -hmm. i'm doing what i want to do now which right. is to use comedy to build community mm -hmm. To, to to share information, right. uh, to make people laugh and have conversations. Uh -huh. you know, I know that I have the ability to do that just because of my producing background right. to create to create that, right. and that's what I want to put out there, and right. that, that's that's what I'm doing. Should we have that written on some board and as a mission statement, and have it somewhere in Paul's house? The no the no assholes allowed mission statement <laughs> or this one. <laughs> both, both, <laughs> um, well, I think everybody who comes here it sort of feels the same way. I yeah, mean, absolutely. again, you have to be invited mm -hmm. to the to come to the live show. Right. We have to know you. It's the backyard it only has so much space in it, right. And we have tons of friends, and it's the same way we've booked TV audiences in the past is we don't use audience services. Right. We bite people. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you already know the room is full of comedy nerds. Yeah. And and, and very supportive people. So right. the audiences are the warmest, most receptive. They're thrilled. Yeah, absolutely. And we just do a pass the hat thing, you mm -hmm. know, to, to kind of recoup some expenses and pay the comics. Right. And it's it, really I've had people come up saying like, we needed this. We desperately needed this. Please keep doing this. You know, right. we, we need this for our souls now. Yeah. And I understand that because we're all very confused. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> as, as we start some of the shows with, uh, it hasn't been every time, but when Kelly Carlin is there, she'll, she'll do a little ritual at the beginning sometimes. Yes, a little cleansing for the evening ritual. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah, I do. I do believe actually centers everybody and brings us all to a sense of uh, being on the same wavelength and calm. Kelly is very centering. 
Yes, and yes. Kelly will be at the uh, green room on yep. June 16th. She is involved with us in, in concocting these crazy things. And um, boy, I just love it. I feel so happy whenever she's here, which is all the time. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, a thing I really love about what we do is, as reflected even in our dynamic is that there's so many different generations of people and performers at the show that uh we're i mean you know i think we're philosophically kind of all in a little bit of the same place but it, it's it's nice to see all of those different sides of an age spectrum come together and enjoy collectively a night of comedy well as comedy has made me understand that people have much more in common than they think they do. Yes, they do. And, you know, that's the whole thing. It's not about age. It's not about even really nationality. I mean, right. when people are concerned with the same things, mm -hmm. their family, their love life, their kids, their pets, right. their dating, their politics, their, you know, their religious, whatever they're going through. Everybody in every country is griping about something political. Mm -hmm. And we might may not know specifically the prime minister they're griping about, but right. the griping is the same. Oh, yeah. And, you know, seeing comedy around the world mm -hmm. is one way of learning how much people really do have in common right. and multi-generational. I mean, I couldn't live without a multi-generational life or, or, or a multi-ethnic life. Like, then you're cutting yourself off. Right. And it's about a person's mind and like their their inner being. And mm -hmm. some people are super evolved at age 25. And some people never get evolved, even if they're 90. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we know? know plenty of those people. It's really, I really think that, you know, culturally, we always tend to look for what makes us different. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're old, you're fat, you're this, you're black, whatever. It's like, you don't understand that you're all thinking the same way, right. you know? <clears throat> so I, I really, um, I'm glad that you've noticed that. Yeah. And I, I fully agree. And yeah. all the stuff we do, <clears throat> we, we span as many demographics as we can. Absolutely. We did have trouble though, <clears throat> when we were booking our musical comedy night mm -hmm. and realizing, <sighs> There aren't that many black people or, or Latino people or Asian people doing musical comedy. Like, yeah, well, yeah there are, we can name a few for yeah, sure. Yeah, but they were all booked. <laughs> and then we're like, is musical comedy just a white thing? <laughs> So musical comedy isn't a white thing, but we did have trouble booking because the people who of color who are doing musical comedy, uh, they get booked for a lot of things and they just weren't available. And that is sometimes the unfortunate reality of booking shows. You do your best. You don't try to have a whole lineup of straight cis white guys. Uh, and we didn't, but... Uh, it can be hard because a lot of the people who are 
diverse or uh, hit those intersectional sort of uh, marks of, you know, being queer and black and trans and whatnot, um, they're in demand, thank goodness. And so- I mean, the ones that we actually tried to book are so great. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I hope we get them to do something here at some point. I mean, I think Dylan, we will. Yeah, Dylan, Dylan Adler and yeah. um, I'm trying to think of uh, Reggie Watts. Reggie Watts and yeah. the guy that you went to see at the improv, uh, or that Paul went to see at the improv with David Small. Oh, Craig, Craig, Craig Robinson. Yeah. Yes. He'd be yeah. amazing. So anyway, but <clears throat> we do like to mix it up. But uh, However, we did have a panel where the only person on it that was straight, I think, yeah. was the sex therapist. Yeah, it was like Max Beasley. Green who, it was a green room. Yeah, the green room. Uh, who is transitioning to being a woman? Uh, Guy Branham uh who else did we have on that oh we had, did we have carmen morales did she represent the straight people i think we had yeah i think we had carmen and uh there was a another there's somebody else uh guy Branham. well i said guy but didn't we have somebody older i can't remember because all I remember is that we had a sex therapist. Which we, blew my we did. Who was a surprise? I didn't even know that that was going to happen. Uh, yeah. Paul had a, a friend who's a sex therapist as a special guest of the show that came. He didn't perform stand up, but he just uh, spoke on the panel. Of people in all different stages of gay to uh, am I more female am I more male like mm -hmm. you know it was very funny because especially Max Beasley who is newly transitioning right 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 and you know it, it, there's he expressed his awkwardness about it right. which you know how I love it when comics really show you their hearts and their oh, soul yeah, yeah and, and it, it, the 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 his vulnerability at this particular stage is right. absolutely beautiful. The way he's willing to talk about it. Yeah. Max, I think she. She, 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 she. she. <laughs> yeah, I know. And Max, if you see Max, uh, she's not really presenting as traditionally female quite yet. Uh, no. Because she's, a, it's a terrifying time. Uh, especially as like uh, gender affirming care gets banned uh, for the youth and uh, to other ages as well across the yeah. U.S. and uh, drag shows, all these. I I read this today. What was it the Human Rights Campaign? I think is the name of the organization. They declared a state of emergency for queer people because of how many pieces of legislation that are anti-LGBTQIA+, uh, that have been passed just in this year alone. Again, people love to hate what's different about another person. Right. And it's, it's just part of that horrible negative syndrome that, right. you know, I think 
this country's been in for a long time. I think people have been in. I probably since the beginning of time. It's like right. you're different. I don't like you. Right. You know, and I, you know, I please. Yeah. That, that like, is what that, like, think, gender is a really big issue. Like yeah. honestly, who cares? That is actually one of the beautiful things about one of our favorite shows to watch, Couples Therapy, is yeah. Our uh, the therapist they have on that show, Orna interviews couples all different kinds gay straight mixed race same race black you know um this latest season they had this millennial couple that was poly kind of and queer and uh Leb lebanese and uh palestinian which mm -hmm. created an interesting dynamic because orna's is israeli oh yeah right and um they still like there's such a commonality in their in like the struggles that you have trying to have a relationship with another person. Because people are so alike, really. Yeah. Yeah. People are alike. And, mm -hmm. you know, why don't we just honor that? Right. As opposed to as opposed to like freaking out about the differences. I don't get it. So you yeah. can tell I'm a giant hippie. You know, peace and love. Yeah. And <laughs> that's what I've always been about. Uh -huh. And, you know, now that we're in this completely surrealistic world. Right. Um, I feel that laughter is one of the best things that can happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, are, we, are we due for another era of Dada or like a new Dada coming around? Because things do feel so absurd. I don't know. Okay. I, I I think, I mean, everything is such a giant question mark. Yes. You know, I, I can't imagine not feeling unsettled. Like, yeah. we have to feel unsettled. Yeah. That's why whenever people I know ask me, you know, I don't think they're meaning any ill will by it, but like, oh, is everything good? You good? I'm like, what do you mean good? Things are yeah. so chaotic. How how in on earth can you be any form of good? Like we're I'm maintaining, I'm okay, but I don't know about good. <laughs> no, what what Provenza always asks is, do we still have a world today? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely awash in the existential void. Right. And trying to cling on yeah. to the things that I know are heartwarming. Right. And, you know, and not only for me, but for anybody else that I can share that experience with. Right. And I and think, go on. I, you know, I, I just don't have, you know, I just don't have the drive to get into the competitiveness of anything but yeah you know, i mean i just want to do things from the heart right i've done enough things for people that i didn't care for on projects i didn't care for right and now it's like come on this world is falling apart what can i do that makes me happy well yeah. there's is that one thing <laughs> Yeah, and Babs can tell you herself. I mean, she's been to the Zenith money. Like, you know, you've been an executive. You had uh, a fancy car and a fancy place. And that... I had one of the first car phones. <laughs> it was huge, I bet, huh? Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, yeah. 
And um, that was fleeting at best. Yeah, the, the I mean, the price you have to pay for all those perks and, you know, that sort of quote unquote security for the length of your contract. That's what that's <laughs> right. Your, um, <clears throat> no, it didn't make me happy. I'm not you know, I, I'm just not cut out for it. And and because I don't want to fail and I want right. to I want to please people. Right. I did a good job as an agent, as an executive. I think I right. took my responsibility seriously. Yeah. But <clears throat> I, I actually the people that I was working on behalf of, like the creatives, the writers, the directors, mm -hmm. etc. It's like their lives look really interesting. Mm -hmm. Mine is just a bunch of bullshit. You know? <laughs> Pushing numbers around and, and paper around and, you know, like who am I really? Yeah. You know, and, and I ha luckily had had that brief stint when I first came to LA of working for Mitzi Shore at the comedy store. Right. And <clears throat> at the time when everybody was breaking, right. you know, Jay Leno was breaking. David Letterman was breaking. Robin Williams was breaking. Billy Crystal was breaking. <clears throat> it was like an incredible mm -hmm. time and an incredible place. Was that like and, right at the start of the 80s or something? Yeah. Yeah. And um, it that world, like, I could not believe that I was lucky enough to get to sit there night after night and see this talent. It's like, pinch me. This is my job. Yeah. Well, it's not a great job working for Mitzi. It wasn't. And it not, you know, the comedy was not exactly like my dream job right. site. Right. But, you know, what I took away from that was number one, a lot of relationships with comics and two, a lot of relationships with people in the industry because Mitzi didn't like to help anybody except herself. So when, when, people would call for advice like Lauren Michaels, you know, who should I look at for Saturday night live? Mm -hmm. Mitzi wouldn't want to help. <clears throat> so I sneakily helped. And <laughs> I, I would talk to those people and I would turn them on to, you know, that's how I got involved in the Montreal festival was they mm -hmm. came to LA and called me like, we're starting a festival. Who should we, who should we know about? Right when I was at the comedy store. So, you know, it did get me in touch with a good network of people. Right. And it, it gave me like the illusion, I guess, of being sort of a comedy expert, you know, right. I was in there and that has stuck with me, but also my love for comedy and my um, development of like my own comedy sensibilities, you know, came from that too, because of all the exposure. So now I think, like you, I think you and I have like the most impeccable taste in comedy yeah, because absolutely. because we really have perspective. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't run out to clubs every night now, I'm a little sick of it. Right. But I, I watch them, you know, mm -hmm. I watch them all. Right. And, you know, and I I really love seeing a great new comic breakthrough mm -hmm. or even one that hasn't broken through. Yeah. But, just that they're there. Yeah, absolutely. It's so, hopeful, you know. It is. It is. Can I just say that I think uh, uh, Drennan Davis should be the next superstar? <laughs> yeah, you can say that for sure. <laughs> I'm going to recommend so, 
Yeah, I mean, Drennan's been on TV here and there, but yeah, he uh, he and his cats both should be um, famous. Oh my God, I know. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, you have been so instrumental, though, in, in with my my you know post pandemic aversion mm-hmm. to clubs and everything. Mm-hmm. When you invite me to a show, it's always at a little crazy place that's not really a venue. Yeah, the lineup is always like stellar, right? Not, famous but so good yeah and they're they're just they're out there but they're Mm -hmm. i don't think they're that many of them are in the mainstream yet right they're they're not or they're like you know well that's the the i mean i think a mark of a true comedian is like even if you get mainstream to a degree like you still go back to these little places you know it's not like something to escape it's, you know, I mean, if you want to keep your edge and you really want to engage in the artistry of comedy, uh, you, yeah, you play these tiny rooms because that's the best place to both perform and enjoy comedy. Like, it's really... Experiment. Also experiment. Experiment, yeah. I mean, why would I? I wouldn't want to see anyone try to work out their new hour in front of three thousand people. Right, right. You know, but I know I I get like the sort of allure of you know having a touring schedule where you're just playing massive theaters or stadiums or whatnot. But I can't imagine. Like I've 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 been in you know shows that like at that and. You just feel so far, even though you're live there in in person. Yeah, I I know. Um, and also, look, the percentage of people who of stand up comedy hopefuls, whoever get to the point of like these grand national tours, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but I know it's very low. You know, yeah. so yeah. It, it's not an option mm-hmm. for you know most comics, right? Um. But I, I'm just wondering, do, do let's say like a, just a born comedian, like a natural, you know, the ones that we love. Right. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to sound, you know, <laughs> but um, like, are there comedians who who can play the improv in the comedy store, et cetera, but and who maybe do, but they feel more at home at these indie venues? Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I would argue that like Adomian can play clubs and he does, but he feels way more at home like doing weird off kilter shows. I would think so too. And yeah. like even watching, you know, Hannah Einbinder the other mm-hmm. night. Yeah. Who it was at, at a bookstore, basically, mm-hmm. at Stories. It was a comfortable enough setting for her and a couple of the other kinds for her to just bring her notes up on stage with her. Yeah. And it had like a casual enough vibe. Plus she referred to the notes in a way that was kind of amusing. Yeah. You know, absolutely. That it was like, well, you're not going to bring your notes upstage at, at the improv or comedy store. No. But it's great because she's trying out material. Right. Right. So, absolutely. and to see that and to see in all the comics who were trying out material at that show mm-hmm. were really funny. Were really funny. The one guy from Kansas City, he obviously came with like his A game. Like he did not have his notes, but that's because he's from out of town. Right. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, but everybody else, I mean, there is, I personally enjoy seeing discovery in people performing. Like there's an excitement and urgency to people figuring out their bits rather than just like, oh, I know this works and I'm just repeating it as I've repeated it hundreds and hundreds of times. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure there are comics whose sets vary a lot, like, you know, who have been able to build up material that way. Right. That, that you know, they they probably have a, a large repertoire now. Right. You know, do they do they go back to the trial? I'm interviewing you now. This is my class. <laughs> do, they go back, do they go back always that they rely on the tried and true? Uh -huh. or, or like, you know, at what point do you work in new stuff that you're still experimenting with? You know, that is an interesting question. It makes me think of Rory Scovel. Rory seems to either he he shifts between two different gears of like he has a lot of written material that's really funny. And he'll be like when he's ever whenever he's performing it, he usually likes just doing the material or he will do something completely insane off the cuff, unplanned and bring the audience along with him and it'll be really fun um so <laughs> it's like he, he's either doing uh material and working on it and he'll he'll usually put you know like a lot of comics do the new stuff in the middle um or it'll just all be uh experimental and uh something that's uh, uh, ephemeral and in the moment. Yeah, that's I feel like Johnny Pemberton is a bit like that too. Yeah, yeah. I Johnny Johnny's always interesting to watch because Johnny, I always feel is very present on stage, but everything he does is like been to a degree conceptual. Uh, there were a few years, I think, leading up to him getting JFL or something. He um, would start every set in a different like dialect original dialect yeah. accent yes and, uh, yeah and he would be talking about his love of the male stars of inception and then that became a whole thing and then he would drop it um and then he would just be johnny mm -hmm. uh, yeah and uh he like johnny always jumps in between like genuinely being himself and then characters but it all but you're right the word conceptual is really hits it on the head you know and and that's what i feel like you know the people when hannah einbinder was doing her bit and and most of the comics it's like even though some of the bits weren't perfectly honed right conceptually yeah you could totally get where they were coming from and it was great yeah absolutely absolutely and i that's what part of what drives me to go out every night and be be in it for sure right but conceptual i don't really feel that every comedian is conceptual no no absolutely not uh i mean i think there's still a heavy heavy presence of people just doing straight up observational humor and you know touching on very common experiences um <laughs> like dating and um yeah dating their job you know the sort of things that you ask 
uh, audiences if you're doing very surface level crowd work? Well, I guess if I hadn't seen been seeing stand-ups for decades, right. you know, I wonder like if you're fresh, if you don't have that experience in your brain of all these right. other comics, and right. then you go see these today's observational comics, right? Which to me are like, oh, same old, same old, you know, right. it, it never changes. But like, is it fresh and new to somebody that that doesn't have that frame of reference? I bet it is, but what's different about today versus decades past is that people have access to an education in comedy all unto themselves in a way that no one in decades past has mm -hmm. so like you can listen to a bunch of podcasts read a bunch of books watch a bunch of documentaries on top of watching specials going out to comedy shows and you can have the understanding and nuance and language and uh that would take normally years and years and years to gain um and then you know because of just watching it you can refine your tastes a lot quicker uh you have I to mean, be a comedy nerd to approach it that way sure like, sure sure one, one of our breed yeah but what i think like a typical you know somebody who wants to go out and have fun on a saturday night right well, I would say even with that, that there's such a prevalence of like it, due to social media that you see like comics on TikTok or on Instagram and you just get a, a little morsels of that. And that, I think, informs people a little differently where a, a lot of times I'll run into normies, shall we say, and they can't even name the comedian that they're about to show me a clip of, but they, it's like saved in their TikTok or whatever. Like, oh, yeah, I saw this person. They're really funny. And I'll, I'll tell them all about them because, like, I I know who that is and seen yeah. them before plenty of times. Um, but it is, I think, more in the zeitgeist than it has been, especially compared to the 90s and the 2000s, where that was, like, a dark time for stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. Why was that a dark time for stand-up? Um, the... Uh, I, a I lot was but I, I don't know what the zeitgeist was well there was you know the bubble for comedy clubs had kind of burst like they had over like the idea of a comedy yeah. club had been overextended and there were several hundred around the u.s and they couldn't keep supporting that and uh with the arrival of like comedy central and uh different like sort of avenues for stand-up comedy that took a lot of the air out of comedy clubs so without like the just guaranteed money as like being a feature or being a host or the ease relative ease i should say of being like a headliner or without the guarantee of you know being invited to the couch on carson changing your life uh that made stand-up not as lucrative or alluring as it once had been um and so yeah it went through like a real and, dark and, you know that's really i i hadn't thought about it that way but that is interesting with the plethora of like new outlets for yeah. stand clubs mm -hmm. and tv um it, it it makes people think like well i could do that all my yeah. friends all my friends say i'm funny you know i like <laughs> yeah it, yeah I think, I mean, because there were a lot of, the 90s had a lot of bad comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it did. 
And it was like that. It's like, hey, I could do that. I'm funny. Mm-hmm. And, you know, truth be told, some funny people came from that. I yeah. Like, do you did you know that uh, Jackie Cation, she, as I, if I'm remembering this correctly, was heckling Sam Kinison at a club in Wisconsin. And they, were t- they told her, like, hey, you know, there's an open mic we have uh, every week. Go sign up for that. <laughs> and shut up. And then she started comedy. She's so hilarious. She's so funny. Oh, my God. That's really funny. Well, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that some talented people also said, hey, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) And then they ended up actually doing it. Yeah. I know. No, I mean, for sure. But I remember just like the comedy store lineups were just depressing in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was, I mean, that was very reflective of like just stand up in the 90s period. I, you know, wasn't, well, nearing the end of it, but like um, Marin hadn't even found himself as he is now. He was like on Air America. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the alt scene was like finding its footing, but it was still very, very underground at the time. Uh huh. You know? Uh, it, like Bob Odenkirk and David Cross and Janine Garofalo weren't who they were. They, they are now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And Largo wasn't this big crown jewel in, in the scene. It was very underground. And like, who who would know Zach Galifianakis' name, you know? I know. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah. It's the the evolution of comedy, but you bringing up certain people like Mark Maron, et cetera, you know, the other thing about comedy and, and you know how we both feel about George Carlin, how mm-hmm. most people feel about George Carlin. Absolutely. He was almost psychic. You know, right. he was so prescient in his statements, his observations. Right. And, you know, to the point where now he's still that popular. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's, all over the internet he's you constantly see clips of george carlin and and you know in fact i i I like to hate tweet certain politicians as you know jim jordan donald trump jr and i just hate tweeted that in response to some of their woke comments Mm -hmm. i i sent the quote yeah they call it the american dream because you have to be asleep to believe it right i went george carlin and the amount of response I got was incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, and, with a bunch of people who hadn't heard that quote before, I guess, or some that have, but they're right. just all going like, you know, he was a truth teller, and he, I mean, his, you know, like voices like that. And I happen to think Doug Stanhope, who's going to be on our next show, right. is a voice like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like completely fearless. Oh yeah, and you know, not afraid to call out the bullshit right. at, at all. Right. And we, comedy needs people like that, too. Right. You know, we really need, I remember for a while, Dennis Leary kind of represented that, mm-hmm. you know. But but Stanhope, like Carlin, has devoted his life right. to rebellion. Yes. And, and that's why he lives in Bisbee, Arizona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really, really important 
for people to hear those voices. Yes. And, you know, comics can get away with saying completely outrageous stuff because they're comedians the same way the court jester used to be able to do it and not get killed by the king. Right. You know, and and they it's it's just amazing for me to see the comics who go in that political direction or that 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 cultural commentary direction. Right. That like they can have such a broad effect on people's Mm -hmm. thinking. Yeah. And a comedian can actually make somebody go, wait a minute. I never thought about it that way. Yeah. Let me consider that. Right. And, you know, the the more of that we can get right now, the better. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Speaking of which, do you want to do some comedy news? Yeah. All right. Let's do some comedy news. Speaking of how things are going, uh, SAG-AFTRA just had a vote on uh, strike authorization uh, following the WGA strike that is still in uh, progress. Uh, Similar to the WGA, almost a near unanimous vote, 97 point something something percent uh, of SAG-AFTRA members uh, voted yes. So they are currently engaging in negotiations with the AMPTP and uh, they, if they don't reach a deal uh, by June 30th, uh, they will probably go on strike and then everything will actually be shut down. No, we need many, many more reality stars. We need need a new flux. (laughs) Oh, do you want to watch more about Scandival? Babs. I watched I, I've been watching that. No, I mean, come on. I watch the reality shows from Portugal, Japan. Right. Turkey. Go on though with your well, sprite. That's well, what's gonna happen. That's yeah, they're gonna have to just do you know, like a different iteration of The Bachelor out of like Hungary or Yugoslavia or something. Necrophilia at first sight. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so somebody will watch it <laughs> somebody will watch it I, and we we say it in laugh and jest here but jeez, uh, who knows how low netflix will sink you know what else uh, is in the news jake uh what else is in the news uh did you did you read about this like a year ago or so pete davidson and colin jost bought a staten island ferry that was decommissioned with the idea that they were going to make it into like a club slash venue, perhaps having comedy shows, uh, they a year later or so, uh, they uh, admit they have no idea what they're doing with it. They're trying to figure it out, and that they did purchase it while stoned. But what a great idea! A floating right? club. Yeah, that'd been great. Yeah, that just floats around New York City. So they're not going to do it. Well, I think. Pete has been too busy being famous because I think that's his actual job now. I don't know that he's so much a comedian or an actor as just like he is Pete Davidson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, yeah, I think most of what people know him for is who he's dated. Pretty impressive. I mean, it is. It makes you wonder like, <laughs> okay. 
what do they see in him? He seems very likable. I, I don't know the guy, but yeah, I think emphasis on seems likable. I the actual likable part, I I I wonder. I don't know. Uh, but you know, he let's cancel, canceled, canceled. Okay. Oh, because we just don't like him. We'll cancel yeah. people because we just don't like him. Uh, yeah, that's cool. That's that's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I don't know who he's currently dating, but you know, uh, I mean. If if you see the if you have a dating resume like Pete, I mean, where, where do you go from here after dating Kim Kardashian? You know, gosh, Oprah. <laughs> I'm sure he's <laughs> open to it. <laughs> uh, like a, a prime, a former prime minister, Jacinda Ardern, maybe. Yes. <laughs> oh no, uh, um. Uh, uh, Amal Clooney. Amal, oh, I love Amal. Amal, Amal and George, I believe, are actually in love. And uh, I hope so. Yeah, I mean, he was a like, I think he had proposed kind of like immediately. Like they <laughs> dated very, very shortly, but he was so taken by Amal, uh, who is an amazing human rights lawyer and. Uh, beautiful person on top of everything and yeah i think he just wanted to jake he's no pete davidson no (laughs) george (laughs) is no pete davidson for sure (laughs) although didn't george date like a reality star at one point i have no idea i think he did i think he did somebody off of like i I thought pete davidson isn't he seeing emily ratatowski yeah mate probably like <laughs> he's dated so many starlets, uh, Kate Beckinsale, Phoebe Dynevor, uh, Larry David's daughter, Cassie David. At one point, oh, I didn't know that. I hate that I know this. I'm a big I... receptacle for a bunch of dumb pop trivia bullshit. I think it's funny. <laughs> it is. It really is. Uh, well, we'll all stay tuned to see what happens with that uh, fairy of theirs. Um, yeah, I I assume Colin's too busy being married to Scarlett Johansson and being one of the head writers at SNL and doing Weekend Update. This is an interesting thing uh, I, I was reading earlier today, or actually yesterday. Um, Taika Waititi uh, decorated... Uh, writer director uh and um actor as well uh jojo rabbit uh the his, thor ragnarok which was good and then as well it was, but um a, a lot of his movies that are set uh in his homeland of new zealand uh hunt for the wilder people being one of them is really really funny really really great uh, he's about to come out with a, a a a new movie that's actually, I think, set in American Samoa, um, but called Next Goal Wins. Yeah, and uh, in doing press, um, he had commented about uh the way that studios are sort of looking towards people of color to solve the diversity and inclusion problem. And to that, he says, uh, you fucking broke it. You fix it. He's tired of like, 
him being on panels and at talking about uh representation at nauseum when this has been such a systemic uh long-standing problem that you know the people in power <laughs> like haven't really done their part he thinks to address the issue wow yeah. interesting yeah where i mean you know it would be a wonderful future if the like it wasn't like comedy wasn't like derived you know just from being oh we haven't heard this voice for, before you know mm -hmm. um i always remember this part of a interview with key and peel where keegan michael key says he really dreams of a time where none of the sketches in key and peel like kind of resonate or make sense because people like race relations have gotten to a point where like the like all the nuance and context is lost for that mm -hmm. you know um so i get like you know i i think it's great when you see movies and tv where it isn't necessarily like we're having this diverse person as a token of our allyship so much as like oh they're just really great and that's why we have them here and then sure. just and they just happen to be xyz and all the other things it's really to be difficult to solve all the problems of the world mm -hmm. in one lifetime but yes, uh, it is. we're trying. We're trying for <laughs> sure. For sure. And I mean, you know, we'll we do what we can in our little sane space at the Make greenhouse. Think. What are what do you hope to see happens with uh, the greenhouse uh, through the rest of 2023 into 2024, especially as we're going into an election year? Well. We have been trying to resurrect the green room ever since it went it went off of Showtime. Right. Um, you know, we've kept it going live. We've done it at festivals all around the world. Right. Um, but you know, and it still has a big following, and people are always going, "When's the green room coming back?" We have not been able to sell it to. to we have not been able to to make another TV deal on the green room. Right. Which I find kind of shocking but um similarly yeah for all the people that want to make a british style panel show in america they've all failed and this seems like the best thing um yeah i mean they did a copy of it actually once um this guy named greg davis did his own show which completely imitated the shooting style of the green room which was really unique you know, I guess people go, it's a talk show and, you know, it's there's no trademark on that. But Paul is an incredible, incredible host right. with the world's greatest relationships mm -hmm. with so many comedians. Right. And, you know, he really talks deeply with them and, you know, and they really open up. So we love it. And, you know, when we had a chance to work with Doug Stanhope. You know, right. it's like, let's do the green room again. Of course, you know, right. he was great on the TV version and we love Doug Stanhope. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'd love to see it resurrected somehow yeah. on, a, right. on a media platform. I don't know if that'll ever happen, right. but we will continue to do them live um, mm -hmm. 
whenever we have the opportunity to get a really juicy guest. Yeah. So, and we do, we're talking to some people, but you know, it's all about availability and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not all local to LA. So, you know, we have a lot in the works, but, um, you know, it's been a weird ride with the green room. Yeah, it has. Because it has such a fan base and yet Mm -hmm. it's not on TV. I know, which is, uh, I mean, that, that is part of the weird dichotomy of media these days that there are plenty of things that aren't on TV, so to speak, and are huge. Um, Good Mythical Morning being one of them. I know plenty of people who worked on that thing. I haven't ever watched it, but it is a YouTube morning talk show that is kind of for kids a little bit, uh, but kind of for all ages, and it's really big. Well, maybe we'll just put them on YouTube. You know, like we were just talking about what to do with the archive of this one because it's it's just a live stream. You know, it's not like it's not like it's going to be repeated. And but we own we we own it. So I'm thinking that maybe we put some of our um, nowhere shows on. uh, We post them separately for people because we have UK friends who can't see them because it's the middle of the night when they're live streaming. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's we love the green room. We're just going to keep beating it until we can't beat it any further. <laughs> I uh I hope it finds its way to being a TV show again and maybe <laughs> it'll be taped in Paul's backyard. <laughs> it's available. <laughs> <laughs> it's available. We don't even charge the location fee. Yeah, or the you know, if a studio's paying for it, maybe we should. Okay. We'll <laughs> I I mean like, you know, if we can make some money off of that. Well, you know, I used to obsess about selling these shows and now it's just like, I can't, I can't, it's too upsetting. People obsess about it. And, and, you know, you get way more no's than you get yes. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, you know, it's just like, it's sort of like if we build it, they will, will come, my tooth just fell out again. If we build build it, they will come. Right. Absolutely. You know, and they are coming and we are. You know, we care about our people, our community, and that's why we're doing it. And yeah. if we can throw these concepts someplace, we will. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like our core motivation. Right. Right. Uh, so with that in mind, you should become friends with me, Babs Roman, or Paul Provenza, so you could get exclusive access to these live shows. Or go to Nowhere Comedy and, uh, you know, you can see a live stream. It's pretty fun. Um, Babs, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, being a partner in so many wonderful ways of getting through the pandemic and then being in comedy and just being like a, um, a twinsy on top of all of that. Thank you for being the best non-bio brother there could ever be. Oh, so happy to hear that. So happy to hear that. Um, I where where can people find you online? And is there anything else you'd like to promote? Well, I promote everything on mm-hmm. my sites, mm-hmm. you know, and Paul does too. It's Babs Roman and mm-hmm. Paul Provenza on all the social media. Right. And yeah, I mean, just keep checking. We also have a green room 
Facebook page, the mm-hmm. Setless Facebook page. We announce everything on there. So right. we're findable. And we're, we can also be found on the Comedy Bureau. Yes, have you, you heard can. of it? <laughs> <laughs> I have. Good. I have heard of it. Uh, yeah, you guys should really check it out. And unrelated to that, I'm Jake Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau across socials. So many great causes to support at this time. Um, I'd ask that you please support those. Uh, now thinking of all the natural disasters that are happening in the world. Uh, yeah, if there are relief funds for those, go support those. Uh, if you have money and generosity left of uh, left after that, uh, please support the Comedy Bureau to keep it going. Uh, do you have anything to say as we sign off here, Babs? World, just keep it together. Just try to keep it together. Just trying to keep it together. And that is really what we all have in common because people are just trying to keep it together no matter who they are or where they come from or how they identify. We're just trying to get by. We're trying to and get eat, by. And eat a lot of pizza. Eat a lot of pizza. And there are plenty of great now options for vegan and gluten-free folks. Hot Tongue being one of them in LA. Uh, the gluten-free Detroit-style pizza was a shockingly good slice of pizza um live comedy is happening we've been talking about it for over an hour uh and as the great brody stevens would say enjoy it (laughs) comedy bureau field report is recorded produced and edited by jake kroger music by brian guineo artwork by andrew delman and kt and part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.